How's it going, everybody? TJ Schwartz here, here with Lucas Burnley. It's the Edge and Flow podcast. Welcome back. How you doing, Lucas? Dude, I'm fired up today. You're fired up? Yeah. Why? Fired up. Uh, well, I just finished a like a hyper-focused loop um, yesterday, which was me buying a new truck. Mm-hmm. Um, so this, this is the culmination of the last, like, I don't know, two months <laughs> of obsessive research. Uh, and I just drove my new truck home. That's so awesome. Up. Came straight here and got on the podcast. That's, That's right, how much man. you guys matter to us. Kind of like Christmas. It's like hard to do anything else because I just want to like stand outside and like mess with my truck now. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Dude. Go, go start doing all the little early like mods oh, that everyone does to that I truck. Can't, I can't yeah. wait. Dude. So fun. Dude, buying a truck right now, like cars in general is wild. Uh, I feel super fortunate. I tried to buy a used vehicle. Um, which is like an interesting, I don't know if you grew up this way too. Like I grew up with like fully taught that like buying a new car was for suckers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Same. Yeah. And like, man, at this point, like when I look at like the, the value, I think it depends on like how you use cars. Like I don't like trade them out very often or anything, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but dude, it was like, I bought a, about a Ford F-150, um, at this time because I've got my Tacoma and I love it, but you know, like those feet are up against my back seat and like we're maxed out. Um, the other one, I want to throw this out there, which is like these minor hacks that you like kind of miss, but like we're self-employed, right? If you buy a vehicle over 6,000 pounds gross vehicle weight, you can write off your percentage of use. So like my vehicle usage is 50%. Mm-hmm. You can section 179 it, take that deduction inside of one year. Yep. Yep. I I did. I was not able to do that, but I strongly considered buying a vehicle to do that with. Yeah. Um, But yeah, that's, that's a definite reason to go buy a 6,000 pound rated vehicle. I mean, it's Um, crazy. Yeah. It's, it's, it's an awesome, awesome little thing. Cause it's the the section 179 is exactly what you use to buy like a CNC machine too. Yeah. So it's like it falls in the same category. Falls in the same category. And I think these are, this is just like, okay, so systemic or like systematic, not systemic, systematic, like upgrades and like improvements as it relates to like business and life. I think there's, there's a lot of parallels there, but I realized like, as I was, as I was looking at all of these different vehicles going for like trading out of my truck, which I love to go for something that's like more capable, but older, but lacks features. I was like, it doesn't feel like an upgrade. Mm-hmm. It feels like the wrong direction. Well, I'm happy for you, man. That is a fantastic buy. I really yeah. like those trucks. So got it. Got it at invoice too. What's that? Got it at for invoice. Dude, that's awesome. Which is crazy. That's what yeah. I mean. Like right now, like cars and trucks are so wild because depending on where you buy them can have like a yeah. wildly different yeah. price point. It's like there was the big car boom of 2021 yeah. and 2022. And now it's like, a chaotic aftermath maybe of yeah. that. Is that what it feels like? Uh, some, well, it's like, it's wild. So like I went through Kendall Ford here in Bend and like Kendall gets a lot of the inventory apparently cause they're a big dealership. And so like the truck that I found other places is much more expensive mm-hmm. and the build that I found is hard to find other places. So it's like, they just, it's like that, right? Like they happen to have the truck on the lot. It's weird to find something where like it had every, feature I wanted and nothing I didn't. Yeah. That's wild. So I I know exactly what you mean. I, (laughs) my, my wife's car, when we found it, it was in Bozeman, Montana, which is, I'm in Idaho, which is close to Montana, but I'm on the other side of Idaho. So I, I flew to it to get it. Um, just, they picked me up. The dealership guys picked me up. I went, got it, drove it all the way back. Yeah. But yeah, like if I'm the same way as you, like I'll research it to exhaustion (laughs) and I'll get it to where it's like, I almost, it's like nine out of 10 of the options that are available. I'm yeah. non-negotiable on those yep. options. There's only like one or two that I could go either way on. Yeah. And then I have to hunt. Yeah. dude. And there's so many options. And I was like, basically the plan is we're doing, we're doing like a small slide in camper, like a four wheel camper. Mm-hmm. And so I'm like looking at weight ratings and all this stuff. And like people, I'm like, people are telling me I need to go three quarter ton. So I'm like test driving and like looking at years. It's an insane amount of information. Yeah, it is. It's too much. And and very religiously opinionated to information. Yeah. yeah. And like looking, I was going between Ford and Ram and then between gas and diesel. So it's like, I literally yeah. was in like a perfect vortex of every argument that has ever existed. Yeah. 
Yeah. Like, it's like Green Bay Packers versus Vikings. It's like yeah, you're not going to so, find reliable data no, on that. You know what I mean? Oh, man. Like, <laughs> oh, oh, so good. Yeah. Oh, man. Well, that's good, right. man. So that's, that's that. Congrats. So, yeah, just that's for context. <laughs> you, you literally told me you were coming home from the dealership to come record with me. So yeah, that's, that's where, that's where I think, at. I mean, it's like kind of business related. I don't know. Yeah. It's so. a section 179. So, yeah, it's business related. 50%. That's so good. I like it. Now I just got to sell the taco. Yeah, and then that'll we'll be easy. Be easy. All yeah. right. Uh, what do you got going on? Uh, well, second week with Dalton in the shop is closing out today, and nice. it is going really, really, really good. Um, he's he's sharp. He's doing a, a great job. He's running the sile right now, so he's actually running the overland right now, like the actual tang of the blade. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I've gotten got him trained up. He he came from a machinist background, but all manual machinist. Mm-hmm. And I was curious to see how that would work in the CNC environment. But it's incredible, like his his ability to see like tool wear and finishes. You I've learned just in the two weeks he's been here that like his hands on machinist knowledge is possibly of more value to me than if he had run CNC. Uh, because Dude. I'm, I'm the one doing the programming and setup, which yeah. is the stuff he doesn't know how to do, but he does know how to look at the parts and say, there's a burr. There's the I mean? number one thing right there. You yeah. need to know how to see. Yeah. I was going to say, like, I feel like the, that flow of manual machinist to CNC is more valuable than the other way around. And I'm sure mm-hmm. someone will argue with me and I'm sure there's like, you know, special cases to that. But at the end of the day, like precision is precision. If you're like mm-hmm. looking and understanding like what a part is supposed to be, know what it feels like, dude, that's best case scenario. Yeah. Yeah. It's going, it's going really well. So I'm, I'm finally, it was about two weeks of just training, 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 just trying to get them up to speed on a lot of things. And then that it all went super well, but it was, it's like a heavy load of two weeks of it. Basically I would say for two weeks, he was doing what I would do by proxy. Yeah. And I was just kind of helping and overseeing and like training, but try not to stay in his way. And so I didn't, I wasn't very productive for two weeks because it's right. like, I'm basically, he's doing what I'm kind of explaining. Yeah. And so this come today and yesterday a little bit, and this next week coming, he's going to be on a task where I've had him trained up um, and I'm going to kick into design mode. And this is, this is time to see like how effective it is to have an employee because yeah five days to focus on design and not have the anxiety of my machines just idle it, i think is going to be awesome so next week on the pod i think it's going to be fun to talk about that about how that's gone oh i want to i want to dig into this a little bit right now because okay. you're saying that next week you're going to have five days five theoretical days of design this is mm-hmm. after a tr- a two-week onboarding process. Mm -hmm. Okay. I think that anybody that's listening that has like any experience around manufacturing, especially at small scale, like multiple task manufacturing, being able to bring in an employee and have them semi-autonomous within two weeks. So you, I think you mentioned earlier, did you say he has done he has experienced every step of the process, like he's done it himself. He's he has done every single step of a knife that comes out of my shop that could be done in my shop in, okay. within the first two weeks. So, yeah. except I for would, sharpening, I, I take that back. Sharpening, okay. I've, so I'm, sharpening, I'm yeah. And there's going to be there's yeah. that's going to be a thing. Yeah, I'm just going to say like this is this is an incredible testament to to like the process is the product. Well, I appreciate that, dude. I mean, seriously, the pro like you somehow have come up with a process that you can enter in a new human and within two weeks have him functioning. That's crazy. Well, I I appreciate that. And and I am happy that it's been working like that. And that I I will say I never even knew for sure if I would hire, but I tried to look at everything that I was doing as treating myself like I'm an employee. Like if I'm half asleep, can I still figure this out? Like, is there enough guardrails and enough things set up and and like laminated sheets to guide me and like programs that are set up fully and all this. So in in treating me like an employee, it's kind of like he's doing the same thing I was. So I I appreciate that. And it's also a testament, though, I would say to how sharp he is because he's he's super sharp. Right person, right person with like right background. But regardless, man, two weeks inside of what you're doing. I mean, that is, that's fast by any, I think by any standard, Mm -hmm. dude, you're, you've got 
you've got some autonomy. Yeah, it, it feels good. And, and I'll be in and out of the shop. There's a few things like he's not just going to shoulder the whole load. Yeah. But he he need I wanted him to know how to do things so that I could when a pinch came where I needed to do something else, like go to a trade show or something. Yeah. I could delegate most things in the shop to him, almost yeah. anything and trust it. But a lot of the time I will be out there too doing different parts. So it's sure. it's going to be a little bit of a dance. Um, but it just, it just so happens that like him coming in, I'm, I'm, I'm not behind in that I'm beyond what I quoted for wait time on my orders, but it feels like I'm behind because I don't like my lead time being super long. Mm -hmm. And so we're digging out of a hole. Like step one is mm -hmm. just start like produce more knives than orders coming in for a while to get that like stack thinner, you know? And so I, I just wanted him to be on all these tasks and like, all these knives need fully made all the parts. You know what I mean? Like that there's some of them that are, are in the very, very beginning stages. And so I just needed them ready to roll. And then luckily it, it it's working. I'm so, so happy for you. Thank you. It's it feels good. That's like, that's real. I mean, that is like real paradigm shifting movement. The reality yeah. of that, to be able to pull yourself to the point where you can do design work, I mean, that is huge. I've struggled with that forever because it's always that balance of like, mm -hmm. do I do the work for now that pays now or do I do work for the future? Right. And right now with one hire, you're getting to a point where you're able to attend in some level to both effectively. Right. Yeah. That's, that's, like that's the hope. Game and changer. So, so I, like I said, uh, it's been two weeks of me just working with him. And the next week is when like the, the, the new era will kick in and I'm, I'm excited for that. So nice. I'll be, like I said, I'm designing the next, I already have the mental image of what I want, but I'm actually doing the engineering and design for the next fixed blade that I'm going to be making. Nice. Which, which brings me, I want to have a conversation about the Nova one. Uh oh. Um, <laughs> it's, it, <laughs> it's a good conversation. It's, it's just maybe, a, maybe we have a, a, a change in direction in order. And, Ooh, and okay. here, here's the thing. So, I'm doing all bevels in house moving yep. forward. I've decided that like unequivocally and, and yep. I'm just uh tactile ground a batch of knives for me and they did a great job. And yep. I, and I actually, I mean, these are good knives and I'm shipping them, but it, it worked up a lot of kinks in the system that weren't there before because right. of the, how big those batches were sized and the size of my shop and like either being one or two man shop. It's just the batches to make that work. We're not going to, not going to work. Um, and so now I'm smaller batches, but more often, and that's yeah. what the way I was operating before keeping the flexibility. Yeah. Ideally. But, but where I've landed is that does mean that I'm milling bevels and stoning yep. them. And yep. I have new stoning, uh, technology that I'm using. That's in increasing that output greatly, uh, yep. which also happened in the last two weeks, but I'm, I'm concerned about diving into a large Tonto blade. I get it with, with my process. I think it's, I, I can see it absolutely working, but I can see it being a very frustrating thing to scale. Um, I, I would agree. I think that pro specifically process, and this is, this is a great point. Full transparency for fun too. Like TJ, before we got on DJ was like, Hey, I want to talk about the Nova. And I was like, hold it, mm. just like, hold it and let's go over it. Like, even yeah. if it's awkward, do it. Live. So this yeah. is like less awkward than I thought it could be, which is awesome, yeah. but fun. The, Nova one at the point was part of the reason we went with that was because of the process you were looking at. Yeah. Yeah. With tactile doing your bevel grinding. Yeah. Yep. So that, the, I think that makes perfect sense. Yeah. The process is the product being a driver for this. The yep. process just changed. Process so the changed. product needs to change. So now so, we, now we adapt. And so that's, so where I'm at is if you're interested, I, I still absolutely want to want to design from you. And okay. I would love to have, for for what I'm looking at, that one of the one of the slots in my catalog that I see moving forward is a smaller skeletonized lightweight. So it's something that you could approach or I could approach, but it's on the table. Okay. Um, or so, I mean, beyond that, like something a little bit more midsize and tactical would be cool. Okay. Rather than going like full size tactical, like the strafe is something that you designed one time that I really liked, mm -hmm. and it's something a little bit more approachable from the bevel standpoint totally, to not totally, totally blow up on the machine time. Um, yeah. if, if that makes good, sense, like good size it's, I think for, I think key for you also, or like for the brand mm -hmm. is like 
multiple use, right? Like all knives are kind of, kind of like you can use them for different things, but there's, there are things that hit certain, like, I guess like benefits or like techniques better than Mm -hmm. than others. Right. Like Mm -hmm. at the end of the day, like maybe not doing a Tano is fits like the overall kind of course of the brand too. Mm -hmm. I think there, I think that having, I think with, with working with an outside designer, having some type of aesthetic change, like from what you were doing. So it doesn't just like plug straight in and like, just look like another model in the line. Mm-hmm. I think it's fun to actually create. It's like almost a little bit of tension where you're like, yeah, yeah, th- yeah. this looks different. The lines are yeah. different. Like yeah. shapes are different. No, I, no, so, I agree. Okay. And, and I do like the tactical spin. I do still think that's an interesting direction. Mm-hmm. Um, I think just if you can imagine bevel being a little bit small, like I said, the strafe, I always love that design. I'm not, I mean, you've already, that design's already run its course and done mm-hmm. the things you're doing with it. I'm not, you know, looking to get that design, but mm-hmm. that's kind of like from a process standpoint, what I'm picturing yeah, yeah. that, or like I said, like a, like a skeletonized lightweight is, is an empty void that I, I either, either you help me with or I'll approach myself, but that's mm-hmm. something that I will do. I got so, some ideas. Uh, I got so, some ideas. So we're back to the drawing board on the Nova one. Yeah. And, Again, yeah, sorry about that. I know you put work into the into that knife. And, oh, good. That's why we yeah. did a really good job though, right? Which was not, we didn't take the stages of work too far. And like at the end yeah. of the day, like if it had been fully designed, fully finished, it wouldn't have mattered anyway. Mm-hmm. This is like, this is par for the course in design, yeah. right? Like working with a company in, if you're dealing with a company that's having sales meetings and they're looking at designs, they can like something and then three months later decide it's not a good fit. Yeah. yeah. So like you have to be like, and and I say you like, obviously like both of us and anyone doing this type of work, like you have to be able to kind of like adapt Mm -hmm. and then figure out like, okay, so like, where is the opportunity here? Like, okay, it's not this design. What is a better fit? Like what is Mm -hmm. the opportunity that this Mm -hmm. is presenting? And and I do think that original design that you had there, I mean, you're free to do whatever you want with it, but I would reapproach that. I think if I had in my next shop, there's things I want to do that mm-hmm. would allow me to scale up in the size of the bevel mm-hmm. um, that I, I don't really, I just don't have that in my like repertoire mm-hmm. right now. I just don't have it. So, well, there's a fun, there's some fun thoughts there too. Like ultimately I kind of feel like sticking, like my rule with design is like ideal scenario is everything is a series. So mm-hmm. everything can be a series mm-hmm. expanded upon, right? What does expansion look like? That can, that can vary, but it can be sizes. It can be blade shapes. It can be construction. So there's a lot there, right? Mm-hmm. So I think reapproaching this, like the Nova one, there's definitely some areas where it could be expanded on. Mm-hmm. But it is a it's a specific, a fairly specific design. It's got a big knife vibe. It's got big knife vibes and it's got some like some uh, ergonomic features that like don't necessarily scale. When I look at it, I think expansion for that is bigger. It's Same. like there's yeah. that and then the next one. And is then the there's like a one. 10 inch bladed yeah, version. Yeah. Right. Rather so than it's expansion, but that's that's such yeah. a niche of ex- it's literal expansion, mm-hmm. um, you know. It makes me want to like see if I could do a small one now too, but, yeah. but yeah, that is it. Like the lines there are specific. So you're like, you're dealing with some, some, I don't know, some like design language that's not as flexible. So maybe yeah. that's what I'll do. Maybe I'll look at this and be like, all right, like we're reapproaching it. Like what is there that if, an, if the model does well, we have somewhere to take that model should mm-hmm. we choose to. Mm-hmm. And yeah. what fits now in your current workflow. And this is, I mean, again, you're moving so fast and trying so many things that the fact that you've even like come around back to being like, Oh, that process didn't work. I'm, I like want to keep the flexibility and like the ability to do this completely in house, mm-hmm. I think is like, that's a pretty quick lesson. Big, yeah. big scheme. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it wasn't sure. an expensive, like it wasn't a very expensive lesson, which is no. cool. No, I, 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 I'm happy with how that all went. Yeah. It just, I think what, like I said, it's, you know, a couple few hundred knives a piece, yeah. you know, per shot to go have them bevel ground. Yeah. 
And what I ran into is like, that kind of means I can't even finish one unless right. I do two or 300. Yep. And I'm like that. It wasn't until I was in the midst of it that I was like, that actually doesn't feel very good. You know what I mean? It's the, um, those, These are the scale problems, right? Yeah. Like scaling for the sake of scaling, not probably the best idea. And like yeah. when you scale one thing, you scale everything related to that. Yeah. Yeah. So the, so the beauty of the way I'm doing it is I can do, you know, 10, 25, 40, 50 knives, whatever I want, really. Right. You know, and make sure that everything is is on track and everything's going to work all the way through, you know, like the, the prototype and initial like ramp up is smoother and less scary. Mm -hmm. I would say, um, there's just less to be lost if something goes wrong on such a, like scaling a new thing so fast. Totally. Um, and just not being tied. And that's the thing, like numbers, numbers are a hard one from like the thing you are tied to it. Yeah. Yeah. Right. You're fully tied to it. Here is, here's like a little tangent we can go on. Okay, the method of which in which you are making your knives, like I would can like it's kind of like this micro manufacturing thing where all processes for the most part like can kind of be done in house. Like mm-hmm. you're still outsourcing some things, but it is it's like small scale. Okay. Mm-hmm. The send to bevel grinding larger numbers. Do you think that I'm trying to figure out how to like word this do you think that is it from a different time period and are we as an industry moving back towards like this smaller scale like so it's like small scale like it's like sole authorship manufacturing very Mm -hmm. close to okay so a company that i would like consider in that we talk about them a lot is like chris reeves Mm -hmm. where i feel like the way that they produce their knives was not like the standard manufacturing method for knives of a production level at the time mm-hmm. that they started doing it. Yeah. I mean, Would he invented the, he invented the titanium frame lock. So yeah, that he had to have all new processes. It all was new all processes. New. Yeah. I just mean like from a production company though, yeah. like you go there, there's different workflow. things. It's like yeah. workflow. They, there's a bunch of machines that product big production companies have that they don't have. Mm-hmm. They're doing it in a different yeah. way. They're doing yeah. like, a unique version. I think there are like methods to, or I guess not like, maybe it's just like schools of thought where you're like, okay, like you have the big, big knife companies, they make knives this way. And then you have smaller knife companies that like came online and what in the two thousands, probably like as I'm guessing. Mm-hmm. And they did things like just slightly different. Yeah. Right. And it, and it's also evident in the product because again, if the process is different, the product's going to be different. And so like a lot of people will take the same process that other other people are doing and say, I want to make a unique knife using the same process. process, Well, it's hard to make it unique, even if the design's unique, like it doesn't look that unique. Why is that TJ? Why? Say uh, it. Say it. The process is the product, my friend. (laughs) Yeah. But it's true, right? Even if you made the knife that's the same, like if I made a knife that was the same design as something that was made by a large manufacturer, the the knife would look very different because of the process. Even if I was almost making the exact same thing, just because the finishing would be different, the bevel would look different. Right. You know, the sheath would look, it it would just, the process would change the outcome. So here, this is crazy though, as a tie-in, maybe not, I don't know, maybe it's obvious. Knife makers, individual knife makers that learn from other knife makers, a lot of times their work is very similar. Yeah. And I have always thought it's not from a design standpoint, it's because of the methods that they learned mm-hmm. to make. The process. The yeah. the process is the product. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> I would like yeah. someone to make us an auto-tune. I know. Uh, turn that into, Dude, turn that into a loop for us. <laughs> I'm, I try not to say it too much because I feel like it's getting annoying, but it's like I can't escape it. It's just this like whirlpool that keeps sucking me into it. This whole Dude, the process a, is the I feel like thing. there's like it's like a cardinal truth. It's also relevant. It's like relevant right now. It really mm-hmm. is like for mm-hmm. you, for me, the thought process is like it keeps being proven to us. Yeah. Yeah. Keeps coming up. Like if there's a point where it's not coming up, I'm, you won't say it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But exactly. I don't know. I just it's. It's been interesting watching the, the the forms of manufacturing and the forms of making at this point 
over the last two decades where you start to see these trends. So we see trend to, you know, uh, mid tech, mid early, mm-hmm. mid two thousands. Okay. Mm-hmm. Lots of gray knives, lots of knives that are being produced by other shops. And it's like, what is mid tech then? It's like, uh, the frames and blades might be machined and like finished by someone else. They bring them and bring them into a shop and like maybe blast anodize and assemble or something like that. Um, you see the rise of the overseas OEM. That's like a very interesting, like mm-hmm. that basically like I, in my opinion, kind of was the coffin nail for like what we consider mid tech mm-hmm. because the knives were so good and so efficiently made. Right. They mm-hmm. felt different. Like all of a sudden you're like, Oh, you have this like gray knife or you have this like beautiful custom. This just doesn't mm-hmm. happen to be custom. Yeah. Exactly. Um, in there you have like all of the big companies being big companies, but you have the smaller makers, right? Essentially trying these different components. You like try small scale manufacturing ourselves to increase, uh, you know, output, have a run of OEM knives done. And then you have kind of the, like, there's a few of the smaller, like us, like kind of what you would consider like mid tech manufacturers, like branching out into their own brands. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, so like that would be like the millets, yep. you know, um, that kind of, that kind of level. And that's where I mean, like this, this process kind of exists. Cause like millet was doing a lot with a little, right. I feel like in the beginning, Chris Reeve did a lot with a little, it's like figuring mm-hmm. out how to make your tools do yeah what a million dollar tool is going to do. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. It's, it's, it almost feels like a democratization of manufacturing. It's totally. like a spreading out. It's yeah. like a, a wider net as far yeah. as instead of like a handful of OEMs making it for all the companies. Yeah. It's like the companies start making it themselves or small startups Yeah, in like m- all these different ways. And like I said, it just, I think it results in a field of products that have yeah. more uniqueness across yeah. the board. I like it. I like the trend. I do too. I I really where where I see a lot of this going like right now is I mean there's a there's a glut of knives on the market I think in the in like the OEM side um, mm-hmm. like I've done two runs of the SQDs um, we have those produced for us by Fox in Italy and like I just watch like I watch the knives are coming out I watch price points and like there's a lot of very very good knives on the market mm-hmm. right I truly think this there's this sweet spot around the small scale manufacturing, because what, what I've seen around our brand is that like custom output at this point compared to the visibility, most of us are actually able to achieve is a very bad fit. Mm -hmm. You spend 90% of your time, not actually being able to cap capitalize on the audience that you've built. Right. Whereas you are in like this sweet spot of you have a little bit more of an efficient output or a lot of bit but the product is still like super authentic, super like custom feeling. I, it took me a long time. Like I always considered Chris Reeve custom, like before I knew about them really, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I still do because it's like the end product is what feels custom to me. So it's yeah. like my brain organizes it that yeah, way. Yeah. Yeah. It's like know. you're, you're, you're looking at custom on the spectrum of in a sense, quality almost Yeah, yeah. quality and finish. Yeah. yeah. Well, and you've got like, um, like HMC machine work, same thing. Like, one dude in his shop, couple CNCs doing, mm. doing custom work, but doing more output than like what my generation of custom makers yeah, for the most part was really doing. Yeah. Well, and, and it's also, it's like, I feel like this trend is wider than the knife industry because you look totally. at, look at like beer, like microbreweries. Yep. It, it went from, I don't know, 20 years ago where it was like, you had the Coors, the Bush, the yep. Bud Light, you had, you know, Budweiser, all this stuff. And then it was like all of a sudden the democratization, the spreading out of this idea of like, we're going to make beer and you've got the microbreweries, the little restaurants popping up, doing it different, different, you know, making all of a sudden mango sour or something or other. Totally. Just way more unique, you know? Um, and, but then in there, there's an industry that pops up where there's more supplies. Cause yeah. like anytime, like I feel like, Anytime you're on like the leading edge, regardless of like overall availability, it's like leading edge of technology inside of a specific industry when it's new to your industry. Mm-hmm. The the front runners are guys who are like, you know, it's like hobbyists that are like, like Grimsmo is a great example, like just build a CNC. 
Mm-hmm. It's a different time. He had different resources at that time. He had like a time resource, but not a financial resource, right? You're like learning in a different way or like, you know, guys that are, yeah, I guess building CNCs is like such a great example. Cause I know when I was in my twenties, I was friends with like guys that were in college that were like, you know, building like, I don't know, they were in an engineering program and they were like building a solar car. But then in their off hours, they were trying to figure out how to build a CNC because they saw like the potential of it. Yeah. Whereas now you have a brand like Tormach or Sile. Yeah. And it's like, Sile is a great example because you're like, yeah, it's like high level machine at like a a very affordable price. Yeah. Lasers, same thing. 3D printing. So, dude, like, I don't know why I'm obsessed with this. Um, Omax makes a small form factor water jet. That looks awesome. Dude, they're $30,000. It's not nothing, but it's Omax. And it, I look at it and it's not that I look at it and go, oh, that's going to be the most efficient way to do water jet. It's that I could have the power and process of water jet and the learning and understanding that comes with it mm-hmm. inside of a three foot by three foot space that fits in my 1500 square foot shop. Yeah. Yeah. It's not a, people are like, oh yeah, that's like a toy. You don't need that thing. And I'm like, no, I need all the toys. Yeah. Right. That's the whole point. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, you know? Yeah. No, that I I've thought about that quite a bit. Cause I, I have water jet done here in town and, with that small form factor like that, it, it definitely starts to become justifiable at some point with a bigger yeah. shop and whatnot. But I, it's like being able please. to heat treat, right? Yeah. It's not that you need to heat treat everything you ever do, but the ability to heat treat in your shop, I think is as a knife mm-hmm. maker is like one of the most valuable because dude, something gets lost in the mail. Like I always, I have like a strong, like, uh, I think like a survivor bias. I'm yeah. always, I'm like waiting for the other shoe to drop. Yeah. And I'm like, Oh, something's going to go wrong. And I look, I'm like, if I, if I can produce one knife, I can pro like yeah. in my shop, if I can produce enough to pay my mortgage and pay my bills, like my family will be okay. Yeah. Like build a fortress. Build a, yeah. You build a fortress. I, Cause like for me right now, I've got a good, an operation that's running smoothly, but without yeah. the ability to heat treat, if yeah. something were to happen on that front, I can't make a knife. You can't make a knife. Yeah. And and also a lot of this is around interest. You doing heat treating in your shop makes you think about heat treating in mm-hmm. a different way. Yeah. Or it might be, Hey, we want to run some, uh, Chad Nichols, Damascus overlands, and I'm going to run five of them. And it's a yeah. different steel heat treat cycle than what we're sending out. We'll just do it in house. Like yeah. it gives, it's that same thing of like running your bevels in house gives you flexibility that doesn't mean it's overall the most effective method. Mm-hmm. It means it's the right method for the scale yeah. that yeah. you want to accomplish. Right. Yeah, I agree completely. Yeah, I'd right. love to get heat treat in-house. Water jet is a little lower on the list than heat treat. <laughs> heat treat's pretty high. But if you buy that water jet, please, please buy it because I want to hear about it. I it's do. You know, it's funny. I look at it and I'm like, like okay, right now, too much and i'm really trying to like dig into like my (laughs) this whole like like why i get in these loops and like obsessive about learning a process that's what i did with forging right Mm -hmm. but it's the same example 10 years ago you're basically like oh you want a power hammer all right you're gonna go find like either a little giant that someone has restored or some other small hammer or you're going to find one that's clapped out and you're going to learn how to rebuild it. And you're going to like spend, you know, yeah. and now it's like, Oh, you can spend 10 grand and you can get an Anyang that's beautiful and will last easily my working lifetime and my kids working lifetime. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. that's different. Yeah. You know, my For forging sure. area is in a, like a 10 by 10 square and inside, inside of that, I have a 25 ton press with a digital controller didn't exist like yeah you know from a small american company like mm-hmm. that is building them i've got you know gas forge i've got an, i'm like this is crazy like the those those resources 
are available because of like where we are at in manufacturing. Yeah, small, small scale or medium yeah. scale in-house manufacturing. I have a soft spot for that. And right? I, I, I see it growing everywhere. And I, I, I think it's awesome. It's like big enough to be effective, but not... And, and but also realize, yeah, also like realizing our scale and realizing that like a lot of times we don't need the full industrial, uh, like level. That's right. Yeah. And, right? and especially if it's a niche, you know what I mean? Yeah. If it's niche enough that the big boys just aren't going to be able to justify serving that niche, you know what yep. I mean? Uh, that's like Tormach, you know what I mean? They kind of pave the way for it's, you know, Haas is making their smallest machines still, pro- most of them require three phase and they're still yeah. pretty big and heavy. And, and expensive. Like, yeah. I and mean, they're expensive. real, they're real dollars. And Tormach's like, let's come out and start kind of on, you know, on the, you know, we're going to put this in a garage. We're going to plug it into 110 electricity. Yep. And then they, Tormach kind of moved up from there towards, towards like a little bit closer to the industrial, but still below it. And, uh, yeah, that's just a cool new world, a new, new thing to explore. Like in every industry, I just see it happening everywhere. It seems like, well, I mean, also related to like our earlier truck conversation, which is like a lot of times like you buy used tools, you're buying Mm -hmm. machine tools. You're like, you're not going to go buy the newest thing. Like at least I didn't. Mm -hmm. Right. So when I bought my Haas, like I bought pre-owned, I had it inspected. The reality is if you're doing the work, like a lot of times like loan payments and like financing is like very approachable. I'm actually of the mind now that a lot of times you are better off buying new equipment because it is eliminating Mm. a huge margin liability, potential liability. For for me, I'm pretty unlikely to buy if it's like a linchpin piece of equipment, like yeah. a keystone piece of equipment. I'm pretty yeah. unlikely to buy used. The Tormach I bought used, but it was only like six months used. Yeah, it's like a deal. That's a different deal. Yeah, but the, but yeah, like it's it's not that I'm against used because I buy used in pretty much every other aspect of life. But if my you know well being kind of relies on this thing, like I've got to reduce variables as much as possible. Yeah. And especially in the last few years, like the way a lot of these machine tools have held their value, it's again, similar to the trucks and stuff. It's kind of hard to justify buying used when the price is almost the same as new. Right. You know, so. Well, it's that, it's that like fuck around and find out thing. Yeah. Yeah. Like, and I love the the, the chart, right? Like how much you fuck around is yeah. directly tied to how much yeah. you find out. And like yeah. with certain things, like I look at like, okay, getting out of the truck, I'm like, I want, I want as, as many safety features and like as much capability. Cause it's like, I'm going to take my family in it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it. That is not an area that actually makes sense for me to like skimp on. Mm-hmm. It's the same with machine tools. It's like, man, if you do this and it, it it's a lemon, what does that cost you? Like is the potential. And like, obviously different people have different skill sets. Some people love working on stuff. Some people have a skill set that like, maybe they can like, handle that level of work for me a lot Mm. of times i realize now i i want to do the work like i want to do the the work that i'm skilled at i don't want to problem solve to get to the point where i can do my work and and another thing is the redundancy thing so in my next shop i want to have two so i've got two spindles right now but the tormach genuinely like i probably wouldn't want it to do what the style's doing right now like the style's is, is doing better work. And I don't yeah. think I would step backwards, but I think something either another style or something similar, having two spindles that are equivalent to the style. I see that as being part of like building that fortress. Yeah. Obviously it's going to require a bigger shop, but even if I don't have the work for two spindles, just re- eliminating the liability of just having yeah. one. Um, yeah. Because I was listening to the business and machining podcast with John Saunders and John Grimsmo today. Uh, I think it dropped today and John Grimsmo, he runs that Kern. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And, and he, he, that's like a huge linchpin for his whole big company. You know what I mean? Right. The spindle went out on it. So he just announced that today on that podcast and he's like talking to Kern, seeing about if he's going to have to fly spindle out from Germany or if they have one in the States and the whole, everything is the whole shop shut down when that's, when that machine shuts down. So he's, he's got ideas. Like he seems like cool headed. He's got solutions and whatnot, but that's a big, 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 a big, big problem. Yeah. Um, so that's kind of a shot over the bow when I was listening to that podcast of like the style right now is pretty critical. Uh, and I don't have like 13 employees like he has or whatever it is. Right. So it's a little less critical, but still. 
So the other thing too, is like just having resources on deck. Yeah. So you either have like backup is one thing, but backup is essentially an asset that is sitting unless you're actively Mm -hmm. using it. Mm -hmm. Resources are the ability to buy another machine. Cause you're like, you know what? I don't, I'm not even going to wait for this to get fixed. Just send me another machine. Yeah. If it's available. Like the the only problem with that is time. Cause if you have 13 employees, the difference between 10 days and 30 days is like, well, and the resources to buy a new current are not like that does not exist. The resource to have a backup current, you know, is, does not exist for most people. So I think if it was for me, if I have such a linchpin thing, like my style, like if the Tormach went down, the style could run the things that the Tormach's running. It'd be annoying, but it could do it. I think if whatever that machine is, that's a linchpin for me. I think I wouldn't want to buy one that's so nice that I couldn't afford redundancy. Yeah. Because if if I bought like my dream CNC machine, but I could only afford the one. Yeah. Then I am cornering myself. I think that's an honest decision. Staying a little more modest on the purchase so that you could theoretically have two. Yep. Maybe is the way to go. Well, also like looking at your work, I think pragmatically, we've talked about this a little bit, which is like when I first kind of started learning about machines like the the prevailing thought process like buy as big as you can afford like Mm -hmm. blah 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 and i'm like i get that but like my work envelope doesn't change and there's actually things that are more important than the size Mm -hmm. for the type of work we do that i think that's good advice for a job shop good exactly good advice for a job shop but the place that you are getting your advice is (laughs) is very relevant to the the advice that you're being given. Mm -hmm. It's hard to know, I think at the outset, like where to like, what, like how do you think critically about advice? Like what is the system to figure out if advice you are being given is applicable to your situation? Right, right, right. Right? Yeah. Yeah. I I try to listen to all advice, but also take it with a grain of salt. Yeah. Um, But like my style, it's, it's a 13 inch, 13 inch X travel. So I could make like a 12 and a half inch overall length knife. So if I ever wanted more than that, I would need more size, but I don't plan on that for at least as far as I can see into the future. So yeah, doing a, but that might inform, like say you go to buy another, if you go to buy another style, there's a, the very real possibility that you'd be like, all right, I can get one with, with, with more travel that can do the same job, but now I have the opportunity to do more travel if I choose to. Mm Mm-hmm. Like that's not, that's also like a leveling up where you're, mm-hmm. you're increasing your capacity for potential future. If right. you, if you're like, if you look at it and you're like, there is a 50% chance, better than 50% chance that I will do something that is over this size envelope, yeah. then it's worthwhile. If you're like, I'm not going to do anything. Then, then you're like the, that extra capacity doesn't matter. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's, I'm super happy with that machine. I think I've said that multiple times, but the thing runs like a top dude. And I, I think part of why I'm trusting my employees so much is how stable that machine is yeah. thermally. It is so stable, dude. Like it, it gets running and he's running it right now. He's going to run it all week. It's like, it just gets into a groove where like it has a tiny bit of thermal expansion in the Z in the morning. Like the first two parts mm-hmm. usually make one tiny adjustment to the Z. And I tried taught him how to do that and what to look for. And then it'll just run as long as you want to run it and it's not moving. It's not going anywhere. Um, and so, holding tolerances on it is like a non-issue. It should also be said that like you're in a small space. So this might actually be more critical than it would be for like a big, a shop in, or like a, a CNC and like a big warehouse with a tall ceiling because right. your temperature changes like are legit. Right. That, and I think I'm not sure how much of the temperature change is actually from like Ambient. external. Yeah. I, I think most it's all of, internal. I, I think most of it's internal. I just always assumed like you get, it's like both going up and I could be yeah, totally wrong. Probably, I'm like, if you're in a room that's hot and like right. your CNC is running and it's hot, I just assume that right. like an ambient temperature change of five I, degrees I'm, starts to affect. I'm sure it does. But, but I also have to imagine like a cold shop for me is like 60, 60 degrees and mm-hmm. a hot shop is like 90. So that's only mm-hmm. 30 degrees. Sure. Maybe that, but, maybe it doesn't but matter. A, like the spindle turning at 8,000 RPM for a 100%. few hours it's probably like the spindle might be over in the internal parts of it, like over a hundred degrees. You know yeah. what I mean? So it's like that, that is my theory as to where that's coming from. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but it might not be, it's a good, right. good point. It's like probably, probably good. Probably actually where it's coming from. 
but but I do hear like anecdotal stuff about people like opening big garage doors on a CNC shop and then all the machines go out of tolerance. So that's a real thing if it's like enough change fast enough. Well, it's funny. So um, if you take that, if you take that thought and you you like blow it up. So say you have a heat treat oven and inside of that heat treat oven, like an electric heat treat oven with coils inside of it. If you open the door, it cools off faster. Mm-hmm. Okay. If you open the door and blow compressed air in to cool it down very fast, your coils will come out of the walls because mm, the they'll thermal expansion. rapid cooling, mm. right? They'll just, just contract. Mm. So, I mean that like it happens. It's a, it's a big garage door with like heat being pulled out. Oh, that's yeah. interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I've heard that anecdotally. I don't yeah. know that for a fact, but it, it makes sense. But I think with the style, because it's mineral casting frame, yeah. I'm seeing literally as almost zero thermal movement in the X and Y plane. So cool. I mean, base essentially zero for my, for all intents and purposes, all of the change is in the Z. And that is because even though it's all a mineral casting frame, the spindle is still, is still steel, the whole cartridge, the fixtures, aluminum, it's a Pearson. So it's like four, four or five inches of aluminum. Then you have the steel table so that as it warms up the, the spindle nose and the table get closer together for about two hours the first uh-huh. time when you first start running it and that is all stuff that's getting drenched in coolant so it's actually the coolant temperature rising and the coolant huh. is flushing across where you're cutting and it's picking up temp it's picking up like warmth and so if you wanted to control that the most effectively you would control the coolant because I was just going to ask, is there like a coolant temperature? Like, can you keep a coolant at a consistent temperature? So the, that is kind of the magic of like the Kern and some yeah. of the high end machines is the coolant is like extremely temperature controlled, like to the 10th of a degree. Oh, and that's wow. how they're able to manage it. And so, so is it, I guess it would be heated probably. Yeah. I think the easiest way would be heat it to a desirable level. That's warmer than it'll ever get. Otherwise it's like quenching oil. Where yeah, like with, with, yeah. With the only problem being, you're going to grow bacteria really fast if you're heating your coolant gross um yeah so i mean but that being said like it's it's such a small range that it's not actually affecting our parts like it's just one little thing you have to check in the morning um but it's not bad but because the x and y plane is not changing that is a blessing because if you're not watching that because where that would yield out on my parts is the chamfers yeah would start to get wobbly on you like left to right that basically is a non-issue when i was running on the tormach i would consistently all day be chasing that because of thermal change. I assume yeah. thermal change. Now that we don't chase it at all, like we run it and it just stays I'm excited. There. I'm excited to learn more or, or become a better machinist because I've relied on my hand skills for so long. When I'm machining parts, like within tolerance is like it's relative because the parts work. Like I might have like a small change in a chamfer. And like a lot of times I'm doing so much hand work on the parts that it's it kind of it's not that it doesn't matter. It's that I've always just been, it's just been part of the process. Yeah. Right? Yeah. yeah. So chasing precision is not been something that I've done, but now as I'm learning more, this is like the problem. Like I can't unsee it. Right. Uh, incidentally, um, Keaton is coming by tomorrow to help me set up my Pearson. Nice. Um, I'm You'll asking for help because that is like the perfect scenario of things that I would have a very hard time with doing. He's uh he's an awesome guy. I barely <laughs> yeah. barely know him, but he's got really cool stuff on his feed. Watchmaker. I, I mean, he's a, yeah, it's cool. Uh we need to get you out here so we can hang out. Yeah, I know. I know I um, want to meet him. And I need fun. to come visit you. Um yeah, yeah man, that's fun. That's yeah. all good stuff. What else is going on? Oh, um as far as podcast related, I mean, I the I I might actually do a little mini announcement like because the podcast followers mean a lot to me. And uh-huh. what I'm actually working on designing is a compact Overland fixed blade. Nice. And I may have already said that on the podcast and I forgot. Do you know if I did? I might have. I don't know. I know, I know nothing. But I don't, I don't think so. I'm calling it the Overland Sport. Oh, cool. But that's what I'm working on. And I'm curious to see the confidant I did by myself while also trying to keep up with production. Right. And back to back, I'm now going to do a new design while also having an employee. And it'll be like side by side comparison of how effective I am product development wise and speed wise on that side. Yep. With the extra help. Should be fun. Dude, that's exciting. What but that's what doing? I'm working on. That's, that's all beyond pretty much all that's next, next week. week. 
So let me, let's circle back. Okay. What sounded interesting to you? Skeletonized or midsize? Uh, both man. Honestly, I've got two thoughts that keep banging around in my head. So I just, I just designed a skeletonized knife. Yeah. And it's sweet. And I really like it. And I've got two now. So I have two versions. Mm-hmm. And that one might be a really like, I feel like that one slides into the line. Yeah. Very easily. When I said that, I was definitely thinking about that. Design. I thought you might be kind of got little sticky fingers thought going. You, I thought you might be yeah. angling towards that one. Yeah. Um, the other thing is that one. So it hits a few levels of it is. It's scalable in that. I really want to do. Well, this is a funny man. I want to do a scaled version. Mm-hmm. because I think it really changes the feel of the knife. And I think it, I think it works equally well with scales as, mm-hmm. as it does as a skeletonized knife. Mm-hmm. I think it fits in your line because of the design language. And it's like, it's that it's like a little bit unique. It's like, there's classic there, mm-hmm. but it also has like the kind of like a modern, like a little more modern feel to it. Mm-hmm. And I designed another blade shape that gives us like more flexibility as far as like you are pretty situated inside of like the outdoor space. Mm-hmm. I think I hit two different groups in the outdoor space with this, with like not to sound like corny, but like with urban like design language. Yeah. 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 No. Okay. And that's, that's kind of what I'm going after in my brand as maybe it can be seen from the outside is like classic use cases with less than classic design, like more modern design. Mm-hmm. And so that, that definitely sounds, sounds good. But so sticking point for me, the only thing is like in my head, I'm like, Oh, I wanted to make that. You, knife. I know I was going to say, I knew you wanted to, so I wasn't going to directly ask for make it. it. But here's the thing. Maybe the two things, maybe the things don't over, like don't necessarily need to overlap. I know I want to make some, I know I will not make as many probably as you would make. That's a reasonable, that's a reasonable assumption. Uh, I'd like to think so. I'd hope to make a bunch of them. I, I can't say, say that Luke is never going to make as many as TJ is making. I think it's like a safe, <laughs> safe assumption. Well, but you'd make cool ones. That's, that's the, so, and maybe, and maybe that's the thing. Like maybe I can do, maybe there's a way to do both. Like maybe I can make some cool stuff and we could do a also cool production version. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, okay. We, so we can definitely so, talk about that. Yeah. No, no, it's because of my free time, not free time, but because of the way my time balance is changing with my employee, like this project between you and I is very close to the top right now. And so it's like, so we have, I was kind of trying to move, move my mind around this like Tonto idea. And then I decided to make this thing work the way I hope it actually does and go smooth. I think we should reroute, but it's like, it's coming up. I even have, hmm. I would go as far as to say, I even have steel for this knife if we actually wanted to do it. Oh, look at Um, that, dude. That, I mean, that's like. Because that, I did buy a bunch of steel at the beginning of the year and it's all thinner stuff. It wouldn't work for that, for the bigger knife, but it would definitely work for that. And there's another cool component to this, which is I actually did 3D work and I have a model and I'm really proud of it. So, and yeah. like you helped me so yeah. much getting to the point where I could design a knife fully modeled. And this right. is the first knife that I've fully modeled. Right. So me being the emotional creature that I am, like there's the story that probably right. actually makes like putting this design with your company, like a very good fit. Yeah. Yeah. Ooh, and it, it, I, I will say like from a macro standpoint, like I'm sort of searching for a little bit of a replacement for the scalpel. Not a, it may, the scalpel could come back, but I, there's some things with the scalpel that are, are troubling to me in terms of scaling that knife up and having the skeletonization, oddly enough, is a big part of that. The, the scalpel plus doesn't have any through holes and it's really pretty hard to do any kind of high density fixturing without like some kind of through hole to hold it down. Yep. And so I was like, I can either redesign that with through holes of some kind. So that's where I'm kind of like aiming this all is to fit in a, in that slot and this and people just love the scalpel plus and so kind of entering that little corner of the market that's kind of what what I'm hoping for. All right, here I'm going to go through my thought process on this. Okay. Okay. Uh we already know that like the the project is a good fit from the story standpoint. Uh I'm emotionally attached to being able to make it cuz I'm also proud of it, but 
the reality is that I ultimately just want to get something running and what would serve my process best is to design to on the heels of designing a knife completely in CAD is to design another one, mm-hmm. not necessarily to start making the first one. If, mm-hmm. if the end goal is me doing, being able to be more functional with 3d modeling. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. So you have a product that has a home that is a good fit that satisfies an immediate need and the emotional response is like, no, I want to do it myself. And so like the reality is like, I think probably like I will say that I will commit that if you want to do that model, we can do that model. I would, I would be interested for sure. Okay. It's a better, I think it actually satisfies a few things. However, there is one design element no, oh, we had really, a, I really want to keep. Yeah. We had a little debate. We did. When, I was when hoping, I first did it. Yeah. I'm like, I can do it. I know. <laughs> I, so we, we can do that. We can, can we try? We can keep it. No, I know we can do it. It's, we can do it. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I have some ideas on how we can do it too. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I actually think it's, a, I think it is, I think it is a very, very good fit. Mm-hmm. As okay. when, I, when you designed that, I looked at it and I thought about it and I was like, I wish I could make that knife. Like I, I, you, I was kind Can of, I give you a a little bit of uh context story? Yeah. Or or a little little bit of backstory here too, which is fun. When I designed that knife, a company was reached out and was really interested in it because I was having a conversation with the company. I won't mention the company. Um and so I was basically like, okay, cool. Like I'm gonna finish this design. And they were like, hey, we we love this design, we want to make it. And I'm like, cool. It went to their sales team and the sales team was like, we like this design, but we think that maybe it would be better if you did this Hmm. to it. And I did one round. I was like, okay. I was like, I'm really happy with where the design is. Like, I really like this design. And I was like, I will, as an exercise, I will make another blade shape. And I made one more blade shape. But I had submitted a few sketches. They mm-hmm. came back to me again and they were like, we don't love this blade shape. Hmm. Here's the beauty of <laughs> security and freedom. And like also just like being true to yourself. I was like, you know what? I can appreciate that. I think you should find a design that fits what you were looking for. Mm-hmm. Because I'm actually so happy with this design that I'm not willing to modify it. Yeah. In that not willing to be to modify it we don't can't move forward with the project. Mm-hmm. I have an excellent uh, relationship with the company. That's like totally fine, but it felt really good it's to a, realize it's good to be on a design by design basis. It's good to be on a design by design personal. basis, but also to realize that like I was okay with not getting that project. Mm-hmm. And as like, you know, solo entity business person turning down money and projects is like, not always the easiest yeah. thing to do. Yeah. But look at what just happened, which is mm-hmm. it opened a door. Might have Because you and I did not talk about this. I did not yeah. tell you that that project no. was canceled. Mm-mm. You didn't know it was canceled. You didn't want to break my heart. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they, they, like there was nothing. So that's actually really, really cool. Cool. That's going to be a fun little knife. I think so. I think so. Yeah. And yeah. To, to circle real quick to what we were debating I, I have three sixteenths holes for lanyard holes on the models that I've done so far. And the way my fixtures are set up, is like a beautiful part of the process of how they're, wor- they're being held. And this does not have a three sixteenths <laughs> or a round hole to speak of. Right. Of any or a geometric of, hole. Yeah. Anything like. <laughs> that is, yeah, the holes are organically shaped, let's say. And oh. so that'll take... I, I can absolutely see methods for doing it. Yeah, it same. adds some complication, but it's not like deal breaker. This is a huge problem. That's also territory. cool. And, yeah. and again, I think it fits both your brand and my aesthetic. And it also, it feels kind of cool to be doing like designing stuff or like, yeah, it's hard. Pushing my boundaries. Do it. Yeah. You, pushing you, boundaries. You, it's, you, it's so designery. Can I, like, can I tell you my possible solution to that real yeah. quick? Let's hear it. So, obviously i have to locate it on those holes somehow right right? 
So my thought is if we have the, the thing is, if I make an aluminum fixture, which all my Pearsons are, yep. the aluminum is going to wear, like if I make enough of them, it's going to get slopped just from sure. the aluminum. Um, so if I machine those holes in op one and I move it to the second operation for location, if I have in like the, the rear hole, if there is like three pins, three sixteenths pins that are precision located so that the three pins create like a triangular location. Got it. You know what I'm talking about? Yep. So it's like still an aluminum boss, but the aluminum isn't doing the locating. It's three points it's of contact hardened. from the pins. Yeah. So you have a hardened surface that's also replaceable. Yep. Um, and it, it, I would just trust that. And so after thinking about that, that's like, pretty okay. much ends up at the same result with yeah. just a that little was, bit. That was kind of where my, I thought, I thought two of the solutions, which would be an actual hardened insert or a replaceable insert. Yeah. Okay. Um, and with the beauty of that is you could have like one or two actually like two locating points or something. Yeah. Yeah. And then the third version was the expandable collet. Yeah. Yeah. Machined to the correct shape. Yep. And I think that that, for me, that's the most interesting because you're like, you get retention as well as like mm-hmm. a perfect fit. Mm-hmm. So I think we should explore that a little bit yeah. too. Yeah. Once but, it, once we like fully ink this deal and I'm looking at it in CAD, I think we'll, we can go back and forth on work holding and stuff and fun. get a game. But looking at it, I mean, like there's no, re- like the scalpel plus was harder to, harder to hold than that thing because yeah. it doesn't have any holes at all. So right. it's, it's going to be easier than that. Um, because the problem with the scalpel plus is it's chamfered all the way around and there's no through holes. Yeah. So to hold it for op two, I have like, I don't know, 20 thou worth of room to grip on it. Yep. And it's just like, it's just, you need like quite a bit of force if you're only on that small of a surface. So like if you're using little mighty bites or something, you're going to indent into it to try to grip that little of a surface. So I had to yep. put it in like a whole vice. And then if you're using a vice, you just don't have the volume space available to do like right. multiples. So this knife, you know, it can be held next to another, either a different operation or another knife. Right. So it'll be. There's another, there's like another small bonus here, which is like on my side primarily, but we haven't talked about like, oh, can I make some knives of my own? Right. Like this is something Mm -hmm. that we do in contracts when we're designing for other companies. So I'm assuming we will figure out some method of me making verbiage. Yeah. Yeah. Verbiage. Um, But because your process is so good. Like I'm trying to figure out how to make this. So I'm also going to be learning like how to make this in an efficient way. Right. And I like ideal scenario is that like my argument with designers producing their own designs ahead of time is we, we build mm-hmm. view, like we building, we're like putting eyes on the product. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. So if I can kind of simultaneously be getting my custom ready to run mm-hmm. and doing some uh, content around that and like some higher end builds that puts eyes towards our production project. Right. 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 Which is like, I yeah. mean this, and these are the things that you and I talk about all the time, which is like the, we, these are the assets that we think matter, but, but with production knives, it's actually really hard to tell. Mm-hmm. because their scale and their price point is so different than what we're doing. So I would be very curious to see if like at our scale, if that rule and methodology holds. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think yeah. that's kind There's of a some fun, experimentation fun experiment here too. Yeah. But sweet yeah. dude, I'm super, I'm actually super excited. That is what a nice turn of events. No, it is. No. Yeah. I, I knew, I knew that you would probably be excited to, to do a little pivot, but it, mm-hmm. it does. I know you put work into it, so that's why I was bummed, but no, I think all good. I think we uh we got a new direction. All good. Just goes yeah. back in the vault. Yep. Back in the vault to see yep. emerge. <laughs> Let me know when you get that bigger fight. machine. <laughs> yep. 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 I love it. Um, dude, I feel like I feel like we're done. Yep. We done? That's a wrap. That is a wrap. Guys, thank you for listening. Um, hope you enjoyed the pod. We're still trying to get eyes on this thing. If you can share it with a homie. If you can leave us a review, yeah. if you send us questions, um, we would love it. TJ, does anyone ever send us questions? You're seeing the email. Uh, not really via email because we never mention it on here. Yeah. But I've, I've, you know, some some traffic over there on the uh, Instagram page, which nice. is probably the best route. So if you want to yeah. follow us on Instagram and respond on each episode has a post so that like eventually I would hope that, you know, we can get sort of communities talking to each other in yeah. these comment sections. It'd be cool. Yep. Cool. Um, 
We also, we built a discord, but we haven't used it yet, yeah. which I think we should, I think we should throw it out and use it. So maybe yeah. we both make sure we actually are good with it and then do that. Yeah. And then only other thing is after, uh, last week's, uh, episode and like talking about monetization, I, I got some really nice feedback from people and I had like oh, good. a I few people, heard. like a few people like reached out and was like, Hey, like here, here, like I've done this, I can help. Mm. Um, so I'm really, really mm. cool. Um, cool. I'll, I'll fill you in on that a little bit. All right. I'm rambling guys. Thanks. Have a great day. Peace. Peace.